when you're in your zone of genius, you are uniquely good at whatever it is you're doing and it gives you energy. How do, how do I know if something gives me energy or not? And usually a good sign is if you sit down and you start doing something and then you look up and it's dark and you've been working for hours and hours on something and the time just flies by and that's a generally a good sign that something gives you strength. Welcome to the Supermanagers Podcast, where we interview leaders from all walks of life to tease out the habits, thought patterns, learnings, and experiences that help them be extraordinary at the fine craft of management. Our goal is to bring you the lessons and the insights so that you don't have to learn through your own mistakes, but so that you can shortcut your way to being a great leader. This podcast is brought to you by Fellow, a software platform that helps managers and their teams work better together. Check it out at www.fellow.app. Hey, fellow managers and leaders. My name is Aiden, and I'm the CEO of Fellow.app. Today, I'm excited to bring to you a conversation I had with Alex McCaw, the CEO of ClearBit. ClearBit is a San Francisco-based business intelligence company that has raised more than $17 million in funding and serves as the data backbone to thousands of businesses such as Slack, Stripe, Intercom, and AdRoll. As a co-founder and CEO, Alex puts an immense focus on leadership and personal development. In fact, he recently announced ClearBit's mission to become the world's best managed company. And as part of this mission, he published a book titled The Manager's Handbook, the book that we highly recommend and we dive into extensively during this podcast. In this episode, Alex describes the frameworks and the best practices that managers should adopt to constantly improve their leadership skills. For instance, finding your zone of genius and helping your teammates find their own. We also talk about ClearBit's impeccable agreement and how they can help you improve communication and collaboration across departments. If you're someone who loves personal growth and like Alex are always looking for ways to improve at your craft, this episode is for you. So without further ado, here's Alex McCaw on episode 13 of the Super Managers podcast. Alex, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Yeah, this is amazing. I've been looking forward to this for, for a long time. And uh, this is a very special call. Uh, we're doing this during pandemic time, obviously. Uh, everybody at different locations. Uh, but you are in New Zealand. That's right. I'm in Fungapua, New Zealand, uh, a couple of hours away from anywhere. Um, I got caught here on vacation. And uh, but I've been here for lockdown. That's amazing. And uh, I have to ask, is there a burgeoning tech community there? There is actually. And New Zealand is is an incredible country. There is a great burgeoning tech community. I've invested in uh, about three Kiwi companies so far. Oh, wow. Uh, stimulating the economy already. That's awesome. That's very, very cool. Um, yeah, so uh, you know, I, I've been wanting to do this uh, for a while. Uh, been uh, you know witnessing all the things that you're you're obviously doing at Clearbit, but also uh, you know you've been an avid writer, uh, and uh, you know one of the things that uh, is interesting about Clearbit, your company, is that you know you set out this mission to be 
to create the best managed company in the world, uh, which is which is which is awesome. I'm just curious, like um, it's a very ambitious and 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 great goal. I'm just wondering, like where the interest actually came and how you as uh, you, you just decided to do this at Clearbit and make it one of the things that you focus on. Well, if if you told me uh, five years ago that I'd be writing a book on management, I'd be telling I'd be tell, telling you you're crazy. Like, honestly, it wasn't a massive interest of mine. I was quite an introverted nerd for the longest time, and found myself CEO of this of this growing tech company, and realized I really needed to stop coding and start leading. And it was a long process, but the the key point along the way was getting this CEO coach called Matt Mashari. And he showed me his Mashari method. And we ended up writing a book together called The Great CEO Within, detailing this uh, method. But I I essentially took his method and then elaborated on it and created what we have today at Clibbit. That's amazing. And so how far along uh, were you in building the company that uh, you met Matt and you you started this this whole journey? So I, I think we were two, maybe two years in. We were about 25 people. And for reference, we're closer to 100 people today. And that, I think, is around a good time to start thinking about management. If you're a leader a founder of a startup, you know, at some point you need to stop building, stop being an IC and start leading, start building the machine that builds the machine. And I think that's about 25 people. And it's better to do it earlier than later. You know, I've worked places where they've added management in when there were uh, hundreds of employees. And at that point, it's a lot more painful. What's interesting about this is, you know, as an external observer looking at Clearbit um, and reading something like best managed company in the world, it kind of reminds me of, uh, you know, General Electric at the time, uh, maybe not so much anymore, who knows, uh, but, you know, they, they, they were always this like world's most admired company. And, and one of the things that they had was uh, they had this great management program. And mm-hmm. so you, it was almost uh, as good of an, as an MBA, or even even better. And so, and, and many many great companies, you know, uh, I think uh, McDonald's had its its famous uh, management program, and uh, and it, and it's really interesting. Like you've really taken this and and made this, uh, you know, your own. Um, I'm curious, like, what are the um, you know for for people who haven't read the books, and and obviously I, I highly highly recommend both of them. Um, what are the differences between uh, what is talked about in the great CEO within and the manager's handbook, which is, uh, you know, the book that Clearbit is publishing on management? Yeah. So to touch on your earlier point first, what really excites me is the amount of leverage there is in management. By improving management, even by, you know, a small percentage, that has massive ripple effects both in terms of output, of a a team's output, but also in terms of happiness. If if you ask someone if they're happy at their job, their answer largely depends on who their manager is. 
people tend to leave managers rather than companies. And the sad thing is there's so much low-hanging fruit that's there that we don't invest in when it comes to management. You know, uh, companies generally, certainly startups, don't even have a management training program. So, that, so if you think about how someone becomes a manager, they're an IC who does a really good job, an individual contributor who does a good job, who then gets promoted into management. And that really isn't a promotion, it's a career change. And they generally don't have any training for, at most companies for, for, for this. You know, it's a completely different job. And, and so that's why I wanted to write this book, um, The Manager's Handbook. And you can find it under themanagershandbook.com. It's, it's free. Like the only goal of this book is to try and share some of the things that we've been doing at Clearbit to improve the state of management in the world today. And so really the, the big difference between these two books is the, the first one, The Great CEO Within, is targeted towards founders. It's all about setting up the systems that help you scale the company. The manager's handbook is targeted towards managers. It's like, what are the components of becoming a great manager? Very cool. Um, and so speaking of the components, uh, of becoming a great manager, and by the way, I love the way that you phrase that, which is it's, it's not a promotion. It's a career change. Uh, that is incredible and very apt. Uh, so, but speaking of what makes a great manager, uh, one of the things that I really, really enjoyed in the book, and it's such a great mental model, uh, that I've definitely talked to my team about is just this concept of the uh, zone of genius framework. Uh, I was curious if, you know, for, for the audience out there, if you could just tell us about, um, you know, the, the zone of incompetence, competence, and, and, and the whole framework and how it all works and, and how you use it at Clearbit. Absolutely. So uh, like practically everything else in this book, I've completely stolen and ripped off this framework. Um, and this, this one's from The Big League by a guy called Gay Hendricks. And the zone of genius framework is quite simple, but quite powerful. So the idea is there are four zones. Zones of incompetence, competence, excellence, and genius. And, uh, you know, a zone of incompetence is probably pretty clear to most people like, what their zone of incompetence is. It's, it's stuff they're really shit at, basically. Um, and if you have work that you've been given that is in your zone of incompetence, you shouldn't be doing it. Either it should be delegated to someone else or uh, you should be in a different company. And then you have your zone of competence. So these are tasks that you're good at, but other people can do better. And so, again, work that falls under this category should be delegated or redistributed to people more suited for it. And then you have the zone of excellence. And this is where most people get caught up. So this is where you're really good at something, uh, but it doesn't give you energy. So I, let me tell you a story. I once worked with this COO who was a fantastic COO. He was super talented. He could do everything that was required of him. Um, but after uh, a couple of years, he just got burnt out. And you know why? It just didn't give him energy. 
But being a CEO was something he was really good at, but it didn't give him energy. And that is the difference between what we call the zone of excellence and the zone of genius. When you're in your zone of genius, you are uniquely good at whatever it is you're doing, and it gives you energy. And some people will say, Alex, how do, how do I know if something gives me energy or not? And usually a good sign is if you sit down and you start doing something and then you look up and it's dark and you've been working for hours and hours on something and the time just flies by. And that's a generally a good sign that something gives you strength. Um, it, it gives you energy. I love that. And so how often do you come across people that can very readily identify what their zone of genius is? Or is it something that you clue in on as you progress through your career? And can you find new ones? Like that's, that's another question. So that is a good, that's a great question. And there is a framework for finding it. And I need to actually include it in the book, but I'll, I'll just outline it verbally. A, you can do some self-diagnosis. That's like the, the first method for finding uh, this, this zone of genius. But I think the real way you do it is you ask other people. You know, we're, not, we're not really uh, reflective enough uh, to un- answer these things our- ourselves. You know, we're, we're too in our own head, in our, in our own space. and We need that third-party feedback to actually figure out what it is. Um, but if you find yourself getting worn out, uh, burnt out, you know, if you find yourself in that situation, then it's usually a sign that you're not actually in operating in your zone of genius. Yeah. So if, I mean, if you're basically like killing it at whatever task, but, uh, yeah, you're, you're just not feeling the, you're not feeling fulfilled at the same level. And so I, I guess like the, you know, one of the things that, managers need to do with their teams is try to figure that out. Um, figure out like what is a zone of genius for everyone. And yeah. so, so I like to think of it like you are casting a film and you want to cast the right actors into the right roles and no, really understanding your team and their particular strengths and weaknesses will help you do that. Yeah, totally. Um, yeah, I mean, the the manager in, in some cases is, you know, like you said, uh, directing the film, uh, coaching the team. So, yeah, critical information that, that obviously makes a huge difference. Um, switching gears for a second, I also wanted to talk to you about something that uh, you do at Clearbit, and it's also in, in the book, um, about impeccable agreements. Uh, so the reason I... I wanted to ask about this is because this is a sort of like very common thing um, that certain groups within companies tend to not like each other. So maybe sales doesn't like marketing that much, or they complain about each other, or maybe it's customer success and engineering uh, that tend to argue a lot. And uh, it's always one blaming the other. And I'm just curious as, you know, what an impeccable agreement is and, and can it help? So impeccable agreements can help in this case, but what it sounds like you're talking about is a communication problem between teams. And this is a classic problem as companies scale. Teams get a little territorial. 
and it becomes less about what is great for the company and it becomes more about what is great for the team. And um, generally, when there are communication problems, there are actually underlying planning problems. And we can go into that. We use what we call the pyramid of clarity to plan out all of our OKRs. Um, but that is what my learning over the years has been, is like when I've seen intra-team issues and communication breakdowns, it's been because we haven't done uh, planning properly. But impeccable agreements um, are definitely something that helps with that. So every day at Clearbit, hundreds if not thousands of agreements are being made. And this could be an agreement as simple as uh, write a blog post or um, you know, sub submit some bit of content for review or whatever it is, just any agreement between two people at Clearbit. And this happens hundreds and hundreds of times a day. And in most companies, um, the, a, a lot of these agreements get lost. You know, there's this degradation to the agreement and someone might follow up in a week and say, oh, did you, uh, did you do that? And, uh, and the answer is no, because that agreement got lost. Or maybe something was done, but it wasn't quite what the, what the original person agreed to, or at least it wasn't mutually agreed to. So impeccable agreements try and solve for that. So basically, whenever two people at Clearbit have an agreement, it needs to be impeccable. And what that means is it is recorded, and we use Asana, and I highly, highly recommend Asana, but um, it's got to be written down in Asana. So number one, it is recorded. Number two, so it is precisely defined. So this means it has to have a comprehensive des description such that a third party could adjudicate whether it was done or not. Three, it has a specific due date. And four, it has a specific owner, and we call this a directly responsible individual, or DRI. Um, and, if, and if something's owned by multiple people, then it's owned by nobody. So, so those are the four things, recorded, well-defined, specific due dates, and has a specific owner. Um, and then we have an agreement that every, every impeccable agreement is completed. And uh, it's very important that we adhere to that. You know, if, if only 80% of agreements get completed, you don't know which 80% are going to be completed and which aren't, which means you need to check on the status of all of them. Um, so if you know that 100% of them are going to be completed, then you don't have to check in on the status of any of them. And uh, so, this, so those, those are the key things, um, those, those four things. And so that's really interesting. And I love that it's, you know, it's an impeccable agreement. We know it's going to get done because hundred percent of agreements do. How do you like, is everything an impeccable agreement or like, is there like an, um, should we make this an impeccable agreement or should it be something else? Or how does that all work? So every, everything is, and this leads to a nice side effect, which is that people are very, really careful to, to what they agreed to. Ah. Um, so now shit happens, you know, stuff changes. Maybe whatever you agree to what isn't relevant anymore, maybe you are out sick. What happens in those cases, you just renegotiate the agreement and you say, hey, it doesn't look like I can complete the 
disagreement by this date, or this agreement doesn't seem relevant anymore. Uh, can we talk about it? Can we set another date, etc.? But the key thing is that happens way before the due date of the agreement. It doesn't happen after the agreement has been um, finished, or at least after the due date of the agreement. Yeah, and I can imagine. I mean, you know, one of the things that uh, I think a lot of teams struggle with, and uh, there's no one silver bullet, but I can imagine like this definitely helps with uh, ownership and accountability. I mean, it's just across the board for the for the company. It does, and I like to introduce what I call an accountability cadence in my one-on-ones. So one of the most important parts of the one-on-one is when I ask, what are the top three tasks to get completed by this time next week? And we do, we do weekly one-on-ones. So notice I'm not saying what I think the top three things are. I'm listing that from my report. So they'll tell me what those are, and then I'll create them as impeccable agreements. And um, they just get, they've got to get done by the next one-on-one. Um, and you, you just have to get in this cadence. Like once people are in this cadence, this regular cycle of weekly accountability, then it just happens. Um, and you may, you may find the first time you do this, stuff doesn't get done. And the, the best answer here is just silence. When someone gives you an excuse, for why something hasn't got done, it just draw out like a 20 second silence and then that'll make sure that it doesn't happen again. I like that. I'm going to try that. Have not tried the silence treatment. That's pretty cool. Um, I uh, wanted to, I mean, you kind of hinted at it, which was uh, OKRs and, and the pyramid of clarity. So how is it, like, is it different from a traditional OKR system that, that most people are accustomed to? It is in, in some s- slight variance. And again, this was completely ripped off from, um, this time, Asana. We were lucky enough to have one of the early um, Asana um, employees invest in Clibit. And so he showed us their entire system. And they call it the Pyramid of Clarity. And essentially... You have a top-level mission. You have three or four strategies. Then you have your objectives. And there might be like 15 objectives because they don't inherit from each other. And then you have your key results, which is essentially how you record progress against your objectives. And the, the main difference between this and classical OKR systems is you don't have a lot of levels of inheritance. So the strategies are basically obviously at the executive level you set. And uh, is that what gets rid of a lot of the hierarchy? No, I mean, hierarchy in terms of OKRs inheriting from each other. Generally, in most OKR systems, you can have OKRs and sub-OKRs and sub-sub-OKRs. And that might work at a bigger company. And maybe even works at smaller companies. We just... Find that it hasn't worked for us because OKRs tend to get hidden in that environment. Um, so we we just have a cascade mission strategies, objectives, KRs, and no more inheritance than that. Got it. And so, like, does an individual team then take on uh, a KR or an objective? So that's a great question. So generally, the management team will come up with the mission strategies, 
and objectives. And the way that we come up with this is, is generally we all write down what, the, what we think they should be at the management meeting. And then we combine all the things that we said and pick the best ones. And generally we're pretty aligned, but that at least gets some buy-in from the, the, the management team. And then you've got to figure out your chaos. So you've got your objectives, but you want your team to have buy-in, especially just things that they're going to be measured on. So ultimately they should be coming up with KRs and you should be signing off on them. So we do quarterly planning reviews and during these, this, this a week long um, postmortem or review of the previous quarter's performance and then planning for the next quarter. And during the planning for the next quarter, each team comes up with KRs for all the objectives that we have. And so the team is uh, involved or at least um, the, the team ha- owns the KR. Got it. Got it. Yeah, uh, that makes sense. Um, so in terms of the um, KRs that they have, is it uh, so e- each one uh, is basically does lead back to an objective. It's just that they, you can have many teams that have KRs for the same objective, as an example. That's right. Yes. Um, and if you find that a KR cannot be completely controlled by one team, i.e. it's cross-functional, then generally it has to get owned by an executive. So we found that um, executives generally have a bit more influence over the rest of the organization, and it's kind of their job to take accountability for things that they're totally controlled. And so uh, if, if the KR can be owned by the team, great. If, if it's cross-functional, then... We stick an executive as the owner. Yeah. Um, no, that's great. And so, uh, Alex, I know given the times, uh, you know, a lot of people are working remote and uh, a lot of people are thinking of um, going remote. Uh, you know, a lot of people obviously have to be remote today, but people are uh, considering hybrid approaches. Uh, they're thinking like permanent uh, moves to not having an office. Uh, you know, Clearbit has always had maybe like half of the team that was remote. So I don't know if you put that in the hybrid category, but, you know, certainly uh, I see it as being somewhat hybrid. Uh, I'm just curious, um, you know, what have you learned in managing a hybrid uh, remote company and uh, what you've had to do over the years to to make that work well? Yeah, Um Wow. I mean, what a time to be running a, a company right now. And uh, we're all now, now 100% remote, it, whether we were, you know, a hybrid or not, uh, we are now 100% remote. And, and it comes with some challenges. And, you, you know, if you ask someone who has been running a fully remote company like Zapier or GitLab, if you ask them, what's the most important thing to get remote working? they'll tell you to hire people that really like doing remote. And unfortunately, uh, we are all, if, we, if we're running hybrid companies or companies that were fully in office, we didn't do that. Like half the company hates being at home and they're, they're extroverts, they like the office. And, and so already like two steps back because of that. So it, it, this makes it an especially difficult time for people 
who are just trying out remote for the first time. It's not a great first experience, but there are some things you can do. So the first thing I would say is read my coach's book, The Great CEO Within, because that details all the systems that you can set up and you need incredible systems. If you are running a distributed company, then the systems are the things that make it work. You need project management, you need a shared wiki, everything needs to be documented, every process, every area of responsibility. So that's the first thing. The, the, the second thing is the, the loneliness problem, the connection problem. And that is the main one that I'm trying to tackle right now. You know, Clib has always had pretty good systems uh, ever since, you know, we were 25 people. So that generally hasn't been a problem. I think the company has been ticking on pretty well, even though it's now 100% remote. But the loneliness problem is a huge one. And I've only just started to crack it. It's, and it's a really tough one to actually solve if, if it's possible at all. But the first thing we've started doing is social events. So twice a week, we do a company breathwork meditation. I don't know if you, if you've, your listeners might not have heard of breath work. It's an incredible way to meditate. You essentially breathe in and out really quickly to a tune. And um, it, we have a good 30% of the company that attends that and they love that. And so that's a, something that bonds people, brings people together. We have yoga, we have trivia. Zoom breakout rooms are awesome. And we're going to do a leadership Q&A in a few weeks where there's going to be a bunch of Zoom rooms and you can just join any of these Zoom rooms and ask the leadership, the, that specific leader uh, a question. So every leader will have their own Zoom room. Um, uh, we use something called Donut as well. So this, this randomly assigns uh, two people uh, to have a, um, a Zoom conversation and breaks down barriers in the, in the company. Uh, you, you basically want to try and replicate some of that water cooler spontaneity that people bumping into each other. Um, it's, it's, a, it's a really difficult problem, and I, and I don't know anyone who's really solving it. You know, the, the companies who have built 100% remote companies have hired people who love being remote, and, uh, and, it, and it's a very different kettle of fish. Yeah. Yeah. Very, very good points on that. Yeah. We, um, yes, we're all what they call suddenly remote and, and that is different. So yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. Um, I was, I was going to ask you next, uh, one of the things obviously like that has been clear in, in, in both of the books is just this emphasis on managing yourself. Um, and starting with that, obviously before managing others. Uh, I'd love to know what your sort of daily routine is. And, you know, what does a day in the life of, you know, Alex look like? And and some of the things that you've adopted and and what's been like a a major win for you in, in your own personal productivity? Yeah, so, you know, what they say on planes, fix your mask before you help others, right? And then the same thing goes for management. It's very difficult to manage other people unless you are emotionally stable 
emotionally intelligent and your your, your presence. You know, you're healthy. And so the fir- the first thing is to become an amazing manager is to start managing yourself. So there are various um, facets to that. I think really starting to understand yourself is the first step. So taking radical responsibility for your life, for your emotions. Uh, we use a, a framework called conscious leadership for that. Um, and it's, it's t- probably too much to elaborate on right now, but it really helps you understand yourself, what drives you and takes, uh, take ownership for that. Enneagrams is something that I really like. Um, it's, and can it's I ask, of, what, it, what is your Enneagram type? I'm an eight wing seven. Cool. Um, honestly, I feel like they've changed my life. I love them. And the entire company uh, has that Enneagram in their wiki, wiki profile. And, uh, and it helps, I think, with communicating, with understanding people. But it really, really helps in understanding yourself. What are your patterns? You know, they might be positive, they might be negative, but what are they? What drives you? And Enneagrams have shown that for me. They've been incredible. Um, gratitude and appreciation, daily gratitude practice um, that helps and reverse the hedionic treadmill that we're all on. You know, we want things and we obtain things and then we want more things and more things and we're never satisfied. And the gratitude practice will put a stop to that. Now, every morning in the shower, you can just say to yourself five things out loud. Say to yourself the things that you're grateful for and try and keep them specific. Things that happened in the last week, the last day. Um, but it, just do that for a couple of weeks. And you'll notice a massive change in your mood. And then there's the, the bread and butter, you know, physical health, working out, um, you know, mental health, having a therapist, I think is important. Um, being able to manage your time effectively um, and uh, being on time and GTD, getting things done. You know, I, I find that although it's quite common in executive positions that everyone has their own task manager, um, not everyone else does. And, it, and it, not even everyone else knows what GTD is. We, I asked the company, and um, I think only 20% of them knew what GTD was and getting things done. And it's just a very simple framework for being productive. But you got to get all your to-do lists out of your head to have peace. Otherwise, you're constantly thinking about all this shit you have to do. Yeah. So those and, are some of the things. Yeah, I love it. And uh, <laughs> we're, we're obviously going to include uh, in the show notes uh, a bunch of the references, including uh, getting things done and uh, other things Alex mentioned. Uh, so this is this is awesome. Um, I, I think there's there's uh, a lot of uh, very cool things that we've talked about, and you kind of uh, hinted at, um, you know, uh, I guess your enneagram type. But uh, one of the things that I've also heard you talk about is just how uh, your, your style of leadership or your perception of uh, style of leadership has changed over the years. Uh, you talk about uh, being like Jean-Luc Picard or not being like him. Uh, just a sort of fun story that I, that I thought we'd uh, end with. So if you could elaborate. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I didn't think I'd ever dare 
put myself in the same shoes as Jean-Luc Picard, um, but he's definitely like one model of, of leadership. And if you think about Jean-Luc Picard, and, and you, you might not be a major Trekkie, I am, you know, in my Twitter bio, it says T. Earl Grey hot, right, which is a secret message to all the other Trekkies that I'm one of them. Um, but you have the head of the, the, the Starship Enterprise, you have Jean-Luc Picard, who was a very stoic character. You know, he was a, he showed no vulnerability. He never fraternized with his team or um, socialized with them. And uh, he, he, was, he was just, you know, by himself, fighting this battle by himself. And maybe that's what you have to do to run a, a starship. Uh, when you're, you're, you're having life or death situations, but I've always thought the company is kind of different. And the problem is, if you, if you look around, it, well, who are the role models for CEOs out there? And you're, let's just imagine you're some 20-something-year-old, you've just got your white combinator funding, and you've got a ton of pressure, you want to prove yourself, and you think to yourself, what kind of CEO would I be and you look around Steve Jobs and you look around maybe Bill Gates back in his time and, and, and other CEOs and you're like, man, I just need to be like a ruthless asshole. I need to show no vulnerability, just direct order command. And that is how I will be a leader. And the, the thing is, I just think you can't, that works. Like there is successful examples of that. It's just so tiring. Like it's, it's tiring for your team. It's also just tiring for you. If you can't ever show any vulnerability, if you, you can't ever you know, show that you're scared, that, you know, that you're worried about certain things, or you have your fear, then, man, that's not the kind of life I wanted to live. So that was the major transformation for me was going from that because of command and control, bark orders to more of a consensus-driven approach where uh, I display a lot of vulnerability and and I think it buys trust. Yeah, that's, uh, I mean, it's, you know, I don't know if you've read um, Daniel Coyle's uh, The uh, Culture Code, but yeah, uh, he talks a lot about trust and how to establish it and uh, vulnerability is definitely one of the, one of the top things. Uh, and I think like leaders everywhere are starting to realize this. It's just, we have all these, like you said, these, these examples of, I would call statistical anomalies <laughs> where yeah. the leaders, uh, you know, were a certain way and, and they happen to work out, but that doesn't mean that everybody should do it. We'd have a lot more failed companies. I think if we did, Yeah, I agree with you. So, uh, Alex, this has been great. Uh, you know, obviously links in, in the show notes, uh, the great CEO within the manager's handbook. You also have a podcast you're doing, you know, every chapter of the book that comes out, uh, you're doing a podcast. How can people find that? If you just go into Spotify and search uh, the manager's handbook, you, you'll find that or, or just Google, Google the manager's handbook. And uh, as you said, there's, uh, nine chapters. I think we've published about half of them so far. We're publishing one every month with an accompanying podcast. And check it out. If you've got any feedback, let me know. This is a living document. Um, and 
it's meant to change and evolve over time, but I just hope it's useful. Yeah. And I think like, uh, it'll be a source of pride for you if, um, people take the book, read it, make it their own. Uh, and maybe you'll have, you know, subversions of this all throughout where, where others will have their version of the handbook originating kind of from, from the work that you've done. Yeah, that's right. It's kind of the GitHub model where you like fork something and you merge in your own changes. And yeah, I, w- I, I'm not saying that Clibit is the high watermark in, in management, although it's something we aspire to be, but hopefully our ideas can help other companies. Yeah. Well, thanks again, Alex. This has been great. Thank you so much. And that's it for today. Thank you so much for tuning into this episode of the Super Managers Podcast. You can find the show notes and transcript at www.fellow.app/supermanagers. If you like the content, be sure to rate, review, and subscribe so you can get notified when we post the next episode. And please tell your friends and fellow managers about it. It'd be awesome if you could help us spread the word about the show. See you next time.